the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Wednesday, July 12th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson, and David Dahl is my producer. He is in his producer's chair, as well he should be. And the phone number for you all is 602 You know what I realized, David? We have no supervision here today. With what? No supervision. We're going to go crazy. Yeah, we can, we can do whatever we want. All right. Many of you who listen regularly will know I'm often want to quote the Czech novelist Milan Kundera. One of the quotes I often use from him is, quote, the first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory, destroy its books, its culture, its history. Then have somebody write new books, manufacture a new culture, invent a new history. Before long, the nation will begin to forget what it is and what it was. The world around it will forget even faster. Close quote. Another of his is, quote, the struggle of man against power is the struggle of memory against forgetting. Close quote. They are, of course, of a piece. Milan Kundera, I often point out, knew that nations could disappear. He died yesterday. He disappeared. And I think for those of us that concern ourselves with our own survival or even the survival of the West, we will do so. We will survive in direct proportion to how seriously we take people like Milan Kundera's warnings. I believe it is our task to ensure that while he may have died, that he, unlike his country or those he warned, not disappear. I think if we are to survive, we owe it to ourselves and to the witnesses of Marxist terror, the survivors of it, to keep their witness alive for two reasons. A, as a tribute and thank you to them, and B, to take their lessons seriously to preserve ourselves. To the degree they and what they wrote and went through are diminished or forgotten is the degree to which we will be diminished or forgotten. Here's from an AP write-up of him on his passing yesterday. The unbearable lightness of being Kundera's best-known novel opens wrenchingly with Soviet tanks rolling through Prague, the Czech capital that was the author's home until he moved to France in 1975. Weaving together themes of love and exile, politics, and the deeply personal, Kundera's novel won critical acclaim earning him a wide readership among Westerners who embraced both his anti-Soviet subversion and the eroticism that threaded through many of his works. If someone had told me as a boy, he said, one day you will see your nation vanish from the world, I would have considered it nonsense, something I couldn't possibly imagine. A man knows he is mortal, but he takes it for granted that his nation possesses a kind of eternal life. That's what he said to the author Philip Roth in an interview in 1980, the year before he became a naturalized French citizen. Let's not forget that line. A man knows he's mortal, but he takes it for granted that this nation possesses a kind of eternal life. 
But nations are mortal, was Kundera's teaching, and let's not forget that either. I have a few friends I circulate classics of literature with, and one of the writings we've been circulating back and forth lately is another important book from this perspective. It's Whitaker Chambers' book, Witness. Witness. In his letter to his children in that book, you find everything you need to understand, the draw, appeal, and also horror of communism. And though it was written in 1952, it's as relevant today as it was then because communism is as relevant today as it was then. In fact, perhaps more relevant and more relevant because more toxic and more toxic because more embraced and viewed not with the revilement it once had here, but with admiration acceptance and adoption like we never would have imagined a mere generation ago. And perhaps that because the writings of the Kunderas and Chambers have been neglected. In his letter to his children in Witness, Chambers writes, Why then do men become communists? How did it happen that you, our gentle and loved father, were once a communist? Were you simply stupid? No, I was not stupid. Were you morally depraved? No, I was not morally depraved. Indeed, educated men become communists chiefly for moral reasons. Did you not know that the crimes and heroes, excuse me, did you not know that the crimes and horrors of communism are inherent in communism? Yes, I knew that fact. Then why did you become a communist? It would help more to ask, how did it happen that this movement once a mere muttering of political outcasts became the immense force that now contests the mastery of mankind. Even when all the chances and mistakes of history are allowed for, the answer must be communism makes some profound appeal to the human mind. You will not find out what it is by calling communism names. That will not help much to explain why communism, whose horrors on a scale unparalleled in history are now public knowledge, still recruits its thousands and holds its millions, among them some of the best minds alive. Why? Chambers goes on. First, let me try to say what, a, what communism is not. It is not simply a vicious plot hatched by wicked men in a sub-cellar. It is not just the writings of Marx and Lenin, dialectical materialism, the Politburo, the labor theory of value, the theory of the general strike, the Red Army, secret police, labor camps, underground conspiracy, dictatorship of the proletariat, technique of coup d'etat. It is not even those chanting, bannered millions that stream periodically like disorganized armies through the heart of the world's capitals, Moscow, New York, Tokyo, Paris, Rome. These are expressions of communism, but they are not what communism is about. Chambers goes on. Communists were assumed to be criminals, pariahs, clandestine men who led double lives under false names, travel on false passports, deny traditional religion and morality, the sanctity of oaths, preach violence and practice treason. These things are true about communists, but they are not what communism is about either. The revolutionary revolutionary heart of communism is is not the theatrical appeal workers of the world unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. You have a world to gain. It is, rather, a simple statement of Karl Marx's, further simplified for handy use. Philosophers have explained the world. It is necessary to change the world. 
Communists are bound together by no secret oath. The tie that binds them across the frontiers of nations, across barriers of language and differences of class and education, in defiance of religion, morality, truth, law, honor, the weaknesses of the body and the irresolutions of the mind, even unto death, is a simple conviction. It is necessary to change the world. Their power, whose nature baffles the rest of the world, because in a large measure the rest of the world has lost that power, is the power to hold convictions and to act on them. It is the same power that moves mountains. It is also an unfailing power to move man. Let me interject here from Chambers to just fracture the inference Chambers is giving us. Communism is a strong medicine that gives people something to believe in. Do we? Does the West? Does America? This has been the concern from Lincoln and his Lyceum address, 1838, flowing all the way to Ronald Reagan and his farewell address from the White House in 1989. Can the West, in other words, put a genie back in a bottle when the bottle is broken? Can you fight a strong ideology with a nullity? We'll return to this, but first let me return to Whitaker Chambers, who writes, Communists are that part of mankind which has recovered the power to live or die, to bear witness for its faith. And it is a simple, rational faith that inspires men to live or die for it. It is not new. It is, in fact, man's second oldest faith. Its promise was whispered in the first days of the creation under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, ye shall be as gods. It is the great alternative faith of mankind. Like all great faiths, its force derives from a simple vision. Other ages have had great visions. They have always been different versions of the same vision, the vision of God and man's relationship to God. The communist vision is the vision of man without God. It is the vision of man's mind displacing God as the creative intelligence of the world. It is the vision of man's liberated mind by the sole force of its rational intelligence redirecting man's destiny and reorganizing man's life in the world. It is the vision of man once more the central figure of the creation, not because God made man in his image, but because man's mind makes him the most intelligent of the animals. Communism restores man to his sovereignty by the simple method of denying God. Hence, Chambers writes, the Communist Party is quite justified in calling itself the most revolutionary party in history. It is posed in practical form the most revolutionary question in history, God or man. It has taken the logical next step, which 300 years of rationalism hesitated to take, and said what millions of modern minds think but do not dare or care to say. If man's mind is the decisive force in the world, what need is there for God? Henceforth, man's mind is man's fate. Well, that's Whitaker Chambers. And as I say, let us return to the inference. Communism is a strong medicine that gives people something to believe in, and I'm not sure if we do if the West does, if America does. This has been, as I said, the concern from Lincoln to Reagan. Can the West put a genie back in a bottle when the bottle is broken? Can you fight a strong toxin with a nullity? 
These are the wages opening up the lane for communism of destroying our own history, as Kundera warned, and not teaching the power of freedom, as Lincoln and Reagan warned. The wages of turning the love of this country into a down market commodity and engaging in preemptive cultural and political surrender to the forces of noxious ideologies that see fallibilities in this country and the West and promise infallible heavens only to yield each and every single solitary time, not heaven, but hell. I know I've been focused a great deal on the concept of patriotism this month, but between the importance of a month like July and the passing of Mulan Kundera, Milan Kundera, it seems an apt time to reconsider the writing of those who warned us against the screams to come. In remembering Milan Kundera, let's remember what he doesn't want us to forget. Nations can disappear, and let us recall how that eventuates. What discordant notes and music lead to such codas? I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. A lot of news today from FBI Director Christopher Wray testifying before the House of Representatives. And um, I suppose, like most of these interrogations that we think generate a lot of news, it will be, um, it'll be a bit of a story in the paper today. I'm not sure if it'll be more than a day's story. And um, it's part and parcel of the kind of the times we live in, and it's part and parcel of the of the ideological warp our journalists give us, uh, have us live in. And um, there's a there's a there's a connection to the to the to the theses of Whitaker Chambers that I was quoting in the previous segment, my monologue. You know. Um, I don't know if we're on borrowed time. I hate to think that we are. But Whitaker Chambers told William Buckley when he was uh, joining his magazine, National Review, as an editor, which he ultimately did, he said, in leaving communism for capitalism and democracy, I fear I'm leaving the winning side to join the losing side. In other words... Chambers was such a pessimist, even back then in the 50s, he thought, despite what we would learn to celebrate in the late 80s and early 90s, when people like Francis Fukuyama thought history had come to its end because the Berlin Wall came to its end, um, Chambers thought communism would ultimately prevail. And, um, And the connection to what we're learning about this government and what we're learning about our culture and the kinds of stuff I've spoken with you all about regarding the propagandization of our children, particularly and directly with Marxist uh, instruction and celebration of Marxist leadership and ideology, as you get at the Cartoon Network, as you get in Teen Vogue, as you get in mass media, as you get in Hollywood these days. It's part and parcel of people being pretty blasé and pretty 
insouciant about the kinds of things they learned from a hearing with Christopher Wray today, the kinds of things that the government may be spying on you by soliciting your bank records. Do people care about that? The government claiming that it has a First Amendment right to manage what it deems to be misinformation in the general population or in any particular part of the population whose dissent brooks a narrative that is antithetical to the government's political perspectives. And keep in mind, when we're talking about dissent, whether it was about COVID or whether it was about Hunter Biden's laptop, we're not even talking about the kinds of things that you think about in the McCarthy era. We're not talking about differences of governing principle. We're talking about general, political, legitimate political policy differences. I mean, the idea that you would think it's misinformation to talk about masking policies or vaccination policies or school reopening policies it's not an idea antithetical to anything this country stands for. It's a policy difference. The idea that you can't circulate a story about the president's son's computer, which may implicate the president, isn't a matter of embracing Nazism or communism or some other ism. It's a legitimate question about political corruption that the FBI itself already knew and had validated and verified was the laptop that belonged, was was a laptop that belonged to Hunter Biden, while other intelligence officials would go around saying it was not to be used as the excuse to censor the story. When you learn about these things and you find a population cavalier about it or, 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 you know, disinterested in it, or disinterested in the kinds of things we learned from Christopher Ray today, or his smug attitude about being confronted with these questions of censoring the American people or spying on the American people and arresting the American people, members of the American population, for mere policy disagreements, and him repeatedly saying, well, that was a one-off, that was a one-off, that was a one-off, It's a lot of one-offs. Pretty soon you have a scheme. The kinds of schemes everyone would have had their hair on fire about had they been revealed 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, and 90 plus years ago. And we won't. We won't be. It leads one to a cynicism that I hope we don't yield to, that I hope I don't yield to, but it yields to a cynicism that makes one ask, Does anything matter anymore? Do people care anymore? Do they care about their civil liberties? Do they care about a government that wants to trample all over them and demand civil liberties for itself, which is an inversion of everything we were founded upon? We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website, it's grandcanyonplanning.com, grandcanyonplanning.com. Great way to reach out to him and 
see uh, see more about what Grand Canyon Planning Associates does. He's also the host of the Word on Wealth radio show heard here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Hello, John. Hey, how you doing, Seth? I'm doing just fine. You doing all right? Fantastic. All right. We talk good, to me. Uh, talk to me about today. inflation easing. Yeah. Yeah, we had a nice uh, report today. We're looking for the Consumer Price Index report. Uh, rising uh, point uh, was two-tenths of a percent in June, and that's uh, uh, on an annual basis just up 3% from a year ago. That's the lowest level we've seen in a couple of years, so that's a, that's a positive. And, uh, and this was uh, much better news than what I think uh, the market was expecting. And we did see stocks, you know, bounce off of that uh, report that came in this morning, which was a, a nice surprise. Um, last month, it looks, excuse me, this time a year ago, not last month, this yeah. this time a year ago was the highest rate since 1981. We're celebrating yeah. that it eased today. Is it that it went down, net down, or is it that it went up less than we expected? Well, it went up less than we expected, yeah. but right. we're on target. You know, month Good. over month, we've Good. been seeing a decline. Okay. And uh, what's interesting, though, is is because because we're peak, we peaked a year ago, right. as you just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, you know, the reports moving forward are going to look uh, probably a little. Each month, they'll look a little less severe because we're not going to have that you know nine percent peak mm-hmm. that we had back in June of last year. You know, it's going to, you know, next month, maybe we'll come, you know, see another uh, decrease in inflation, but it's going to be based off of a lower inflation number from 12 months prior. Now, if that how, makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Uh, that makes sense. This this one's hard for me. Jack Kemp said you line up 100 economists. What do you get? 100 economists. <laughs> There's an article in the Wall Street Journal that said the slowdown brings relief. And the chan- and boost the chances the Federal Reserve will stop raising interest rates after an expected increase this month. Another one says not so fast. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's cooling, but maybe not enough yet for the Fed. But maybe in the end, it's the same thing. Maybe the Fed just has one more in them. I don't know what your thought is on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, probably the 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 preponderance of the evidence would lean, you know, maybe tip the scales a little bit more in favor that this could be. Uh, one of the last increases in July. Okay. I still think, even though we've got this good number that came out, uh, the, the Fed will probably still move ahead with that quarter percent, uh, you know, hike just to really make sure that uh, they they can continue to have inflation uh, move lower uh, in the near future here. Uh, but they're ready and willing and able. If they start to see inflation uh, reverse again, then they probably will. Uh, begin once again to raise rates and be maybe a little bit more forceful with them as well. So okay. I think that this was a good report today. Uh, we can't, you know, count out that it's it's possible inflation can can rear its head again. Uh, wage inflation is probably going to be one of the big issues that we're going to have moving forward. It's going to be very difficult uh, for companies who are still looking for good employees and with all the infrastructure that potentially is planned to uh, begin. Uh, companies and states are going to be looking for. Uh, new people, and they're going to probably have to pay up for those employees, and that's going to obviously create inflation in the wage area. Uh, And that's going to, in turn, Seth, it's an interesting uh, story here, but then that's going to probably allow people to spend money, which, again, 
heats up the economy. So it's a vicious cycle here, and the Fed's got their hands full. Interestingly, though, if I read today's report right, this is the first point or at least a turning point where where workers' earnings is now outpacing inflation, which was not yes. the case, right? This was – That this is was, correct. Right, okay. That is correct. So now we're seeing that, that you know, workers are starting to get those increases. That's why I said the wage inflation yeah. is yeah. going to start, right. uh, you know uh, – Hopefully, keeping up with the pace and, and surpassing uh, inflation, which is which is good for people to have uh, that that money that they need in order to cover their expenses and have a little extra. You know, that's 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 great. Good. And, and we're seeing it most uh, dramatically, I think, at the gas pump right now, aren't we? We're seeing yeah, the, yeah, gas right. prices for sure, yeah. and also food prices and food uh, coming down, which is great as well. Good. So Thanks, it's John. good for the market. Yeah. And, you know, for those out there who aren't invested because they've been in fear of, of things in the market, as you can see, the markets have been responding very well mm-hmm. to this, and you're missing out on some opportunity possibly. So make sure if you're working with an advisor, you talk with them. Otherwise, you can reach out to me at GrandCanyonPlanning.com. And Securities and Advisory Services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of FinRecipic, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC, and I affiliated. You're the best, John. Thank, Thank you, sir. sir. Appreciate it. You bet. Talk to you soon. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brett Johnson is a partner with the law firm of Snell & Wilmer. SWLaw.com is their website, based here, but offices around the country. He's our constitutional and elections uh, law expert. Brett, happy Wednesday. How you doing, man? Good, good. How are you, Seth? I'm doing just fine. You and a uh, mutual friend of ours, you know, I used to you know, spend most of my time trying to understand the uh, U.S. Constitution. You guys, you and, and a mutual friend of ours, Steve, have gotten me to really wrap my head around the Arizona Constitution, too. So I don't know. All power to you or thank you or maybe not. I'm not sure. But it raises the question I wanted to ask you today. People read a lot about what seems to be a raft of executive orders that are coming out of the governor's office uh, we, of course, see it from presidential office at the federal level as well. And I wondered if you might just talk to us a little bit about these orders and their their place in our federal and state constitutional firmaments. Yes. No, thank you, Seth. And, you know, actually, uh, uh, in Arizona, Justice uh, Clint Bullock actually has, has quite a few articles out there and a lot of publications about the strength of state constitutions and how that federal government and the U.S. Supreme Court should refer cases back to the states so the states can be those laboratories of democracy that we talked about before. And I do see that there's a, a movement, at least by this, this U.S. Supreme Court, to, to do that. But the main issue on the executive orders is is that every, you know, we're, all of our states and the federal government, there's basically three branches of government, and you're supposed to stay within your lane. And obviously the Constitution does allow a little bit of overlap um, between the different branches just because of, of making sure that there's orderly administration of government. But what one thing for sure is is the, is the le- legislative power, which is, a, you know, in our Constitution, that's Article 1, right? It's supposed yep. to be the most powerful of the articles. Yep. And it basically says that our legislatures, Congress, should not be delegating um, their authority to legislate on behalf of the people as a representative government uh, to the executive, where the executive basically acts via fiat um, by issuing executive orders that are not in line with statutory guidance or statutory direction. Now, obviously, uh, the governor's office or the president, they have some powers in their uh, president, for example, under Article 2, has some powers. Military is a very good example. That is well within the president's uh, um, uh, powers. 
So the non-delegation uh, doctrine says is that Congress just cannot, even if it, even if it wants to, it di- desires and says, hey, agency, you just deal with this issue. We're not going to get involved. That's the main thing on the non-delegation You can't hand away your power in a distinctive system or a tripartite yeah, system. It, yeah. Exactly. And we saw that a lot during COVID, which mm-hmm. is the more modern um, times when you saw the non-delegation doctrine, which had kind of gotten mothballed for years and then was brought out very strongly during the COVID and all of the executive orders that we saw there. And then now, because executive orders did not really get overturned that often, that you're seeing the courts take some issue with that. Uh, Justice Gorsuch, in fact, on, on a previous case that we've talked about, and in, in specifically about COVID cases and the power of the legislature needing to step back in. But the, the may, another issue, which is the, the left hand, I guess, of, of uh, the non-delegation um, doctrine, is called the major cases doctrine. And when things are of such political or economic significance, is that that would not be delegated to the executive or to agencies within the government. It's kind of an anti-what's called Chevron doctrine, where we give deference to the expertise of an agency or the executive, like the president or the governor, because they have the expertise to understand that the judiciary just wouldn't know. But the major cases doctrine says, well, no, we're going to put a uh, you know a barrier on the uh, Chevron doctrine by saying that under no circumstances that significant political or economic issues can be addressed by the executive without direction from the legislature. And that is where we're getting into trouble here, whether it's abortion or whether it is um, um, transgender issues. Death penalty. Or, um, inv- death penalty, environmental issues, where you're acting via fiat um, without following the statutory guidance. Now, it's, it's glaring when there's a statutory framework in place. Uh-huh. And the executive just decides to go against that the death penalty case being uh, in Arizona being the, the most uh, recent or a recent one where it's glaring within the statutory. But also when you're starting to take away powers from the cities or you're taking away powers from the prosecutor that are clearly delineated by, co- uh, by the, the legislature or in the Constitution, that is when it gets a little bit concerning. Now, what the executive is thinking is I'm buying time. Because even if I get a lawsuit, it's going to be two or three years. I'm going to be towards the end of my term. And at least maybe my executive order is going to be um, standing for those two or three mm-hmm. years, and I've bought time. Mm-hmm. So there is some stri- strategic, even if they don't think they have the best legal arguments, there's some strategic politics that, that are going on. The law doesn't move as quickly as politics. And I suppose outside of the typical two- or four-year election phrase uh, phase, that one body how does it work? Can one body or one affected agency sue another another legisl- another another distinct body? Can a legislature sue a, an executive? Can a in this case can a can another office sue another officer of the state or of the federal government? Absolutely, and that's that's within their powers, especially when uh, your powers are being uh, assumed, right. whether it's a constitutional office or in Arizona commissions or the legislature, it, it is almost pivotal that, that those bodies stand up and say, wait a minute here, even if I disagree, even I agree with you on this issue politically, you can't take away my powers. Mm-hmm. And you really have to wear the hat of the position you're holding. You're basically a steward. Jen Napolitano, Governor Napolitano, always used to say that, is that you know when she went from attorney general to governor, she switched hats. So now she's wearing a governor hat that might have been different from what she was doing as attorney general. Uh, president Ford, when he became, was, was speaker and then became president, same thing. He was 
all about the legislative powers. And then we switched over for presidency. He he uh, was a force for the executive power. So, but that is the, the the ability of those officers and those agencies to protect what that what is theirs. And and the agencies in some cases also have the ability to bring an action against other agencies, but extremely rare and under very very limited circumstances. We have a version of it in our own state constitution, the non delegation doctrine. I presume it comes from the distribution of powers article. Departments shall be separate and distinct. No one of such departments shall exercise the powers properly belonging to either of the others, right? Is that where it comes from, I presume? That, that's exactly where it comes from. And, and Justice Bullock, who I mentioned in the yeah. beginning, um, you know, is a big fan, has spoken on this in various forms, as have other justices on the Arizona Supreme Court. So it, it's just a matter of, of getting it up to them to have it a little bit more fleshed out in Arizona, because remember I said that they, we were dusting off the cobwebs yeah. from COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah. So it, this is going to be a major issue, and quite honestly, um, some of the debate is good, it always is good, but you, you really have to keep... Um, the various offices and the various branches of government within their lane to make sure that the constitutions are working. Well, that's right. I mean, there is a constitutional framework. There is a legislative framework. People vote for officers uh, or for offices in the legislature to pass laws. It seems to me that that is the essence of the Republican form of government, that it doesn't leave yeah. the option open to uh, executives to, to just yeah. completely violate or erase. Yeah. Absolutely. One last point on yeah. that: just because you have a, a you win an election, whether by a small margin or a large margin, and you quote unquote have a mandate, now that mandate is still subject to the Constitution. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There are yes. Thank you, Brett Johnson from Snell and Wilmer SWLaw dot com. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You betcha. I'm Seth. I'll be right back. <laughs> Those lyrics are kind of fun. Uh, how do you think the administration is handling the economy, folks, with the stock market volatility and bank failures and recession on the possible horizon with inflation still here? What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it. Whatever you choose with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Why Refi has such an investment? There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio that is uh, delivering a high fixed interest rate that they are offering up. And they are based here locally, Why Refi is. Their offices are on Scottsdale Road in the 101. And I encourage you to stop by them. I've been there, and you won't get asked to sign a thing. You won't get a sales pitch. They just like talking about what it is that they do. Leave the selling up to me. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust and like them so much, and you will as well. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-34. Only 26% of Americans now report a great deal or a, found a, or a fair amount of confidence in the public schools. That is an all-time low. 26% of Americans now report a great deal or fair amount of confidence in public schools, according to Gallup. That is, as I say, an all-time low. Who did that? 
Who did that? How'd that happen? Moms for Liberty says the American people know our public schools are failing. It's time to reclaim and reform public education. It most certainly is. And uh, that's why I guess there's a little teaser ad running with me from a previous show saying that uh, this this issue is so ripe for the Republican Party to own. It is so ripe. I, 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 I want every Republican contemplating running next year who announced already, perhaps, I want them all to be talking education, education, education. It, um, it matters. And when you look at what the education reform constellation is about, you look at who did well in, last, in our last election, particularly at the local levels. It was people like these kinds of moms that made it an issue and decided to run for school board. But these are issues not just for school board races. These are issues for state legislative races. These are issues for congressional races, the U.S. Senate, and even the candidates running for president. They all have areas in which they touch education one way or another, some more than others, some less than others, but they all touch it. It is su- it's something we spend $900 billion a year on. Everyone has their finger on it. The Republican Party should have their whole hand on it, grasp it, and own it. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.